Hello all. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. order of conduct today is to really quickly try our drink because I've actually made us a proper drink this week mostly because I bought some crazy Mexican booze which is like a green chili liqueur um, and I've made that into a gimlet with some gin some lime juice and some sugar water Uh, and the ice cubes are melting really really fast so I want us to just have a quick try of that so we're going to drink our green liqueur chilli drink right now. We're going to have a try. Oh, it's zingy. Ooh la la. Christ. Um, Chris is here, of course, I should have said. I was so eager for us to get onto the booze. Oh, it's got a fiery kick. taste the chilli. Oh, it's nice, though. It is nice. It tastes quite uh, planty, doesn't it? Yeah, quite planty. It's it's called something verdi. I'll find out. Anyway, it's it's nice. It is nice. Oh, Christ. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we are breaking really with the tradition because this drink has absolutely nothing to do with the story oh, that I'm about to ask. tell you. Absolutely nothing. But, you know, I just wanted to try the new the new green liqueur. So it's tasty. Yeah, it tastes kind of <laughs> cactusy. Yes, it's got absolutely. a bit of a tequila, How I would imagine a cactus would taste. A tequila go about it, hasn't it? Anyway, nice. But it's, yes, it's very hot, so our ice cubes were getting dangerously close to being non-existent, so I just wanted to make sure that we got a sip in. Before I even bothered to do any introductions, didn't say hello, didn't do anything proper, but we can get on to all that now. Um, Okay, so for us it's the solstice. Happy solstice, everyone. Um, I hope you're enjoying the longest day, making good use of it. I did say last time, when we discussed the Weniston Doom, that we'd gone quite highbrow that week, and I did say, I'll try and find us something quite lowbrow to discuss next time and I feel like this is quite lowbrow we're kind of I feel quite mucky it's quite mucky it's 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 the sort of mucky true crime thing that you'd get a channel five documentary about or you know on the CBS reality or something they'd make a a grubby documentary about (laughs) it with um, tabloid newspaper yeah, writers quite, from the 80s exactly. who are now wearing like shiny suits and they're quite fat. Yeah, quite sensationalist. So, I, you know, I'm sorry in a way, but it's nice to go highbrow, lowbrow. Lovely art. Oh, horrible true crime. Ugh. So get ready for that. And it's just a warning. It's quite a gruesome story. So it's not probably for the squeamish among you. Um, not for the faint-hearted. Yes, certainly not for children, but I don't think children are listening anyway. Are they listening? Are you listening, children? Stop listening. This one's not for you. Quick, go away. If there's one thing guaranteed to make them listen further, it's telling them they shouldn't <laughs> It's true listen. that it's really gory and gruesome. Um, Lucky Katie's not here. She Why? hates Because she hates gore and gruesome. Oh, I you said she hates children. She's a teacher. Well, I was going to say Jimmy Savile famously hated kids, but perhaps that isn't the Chris! way to go. <laughs> Come on. What I was going to say was that you can probably be a teacher and not be very keen on children. 
That's true, but Katie is not one such. Okay. Yeah, so it's a gruesome story. It's It happened in Norwich, in Norfolk, the largest city in Norfolk. The only city in Norfolk. Uh, is that true? Is Kings Lynn a city? I don't think it is. Mm, okay. And it's the summer of 1851. I'm going to get straight into the story now. Back in the past. The date is June the 21st. Oh, no way. 1851. Oh, well, that's appropriate, isn't it? I didn't even know. Really? I just started, I thought, this sounds really interesting as a story. I started reading about it and I went, no way. That's the day we're well, going to record. that is serendipitous. Exactly. You know, earlier I was saying, uh, isn't it funny how sometimes okay. things just sort of come together in a strange way? So 1850, you say? 1851. 1850. Oh, well, I thought it was going to be a nice round number of years ago as well. Uh, No, not quite. But, and, you know. 129 years ago? The date is June the 21st. No. This maths is not 179 years ago. Sorry. <laughs> to the day. To the to the hour. To yes, the minute. To the, well, I think it was the morning. Yeah. The morning of June the 21st, 1851, Norwich. A wood dealer named Charles Johnson, 34. That's how the tabloids would do it. Charles Johnson, 34, was doing, of course, what else but walking his dog. I thought you could say dealing some wood. I was going to say, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, walking his dog. Uh, walking his dog in uh, the centre of Norwich. Uh, it's the classic way to discover something horrible, being a dog walker. They're always the ones that discover the Bodies horrible stuff. Exactly, yeah. it's always well, what's a dog that dog ferreting around at? Oh, it's a hand. Yeah, well, funny you should say that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> really? Funny you should say that. Uh, his dog picked up an odd piece of what he initially thought to be a, like a bit of meat or carrion. Right, upon just discarded. Closer, just flung to the side of the road, mm. down in the gutter. Like uh, when you see um, sad old kebabs on the uh, ground on a Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, no. Because you know, drunk people have spilled their kebabs, haven't they? Or, mm. you know, been too drunk to eat their kebabs. And then pigeons are eating them. Quite similar. That's what I imagine that's what Norwich City Centre Just... was like. Well, I was going to say this morning, but probably nobody was eating a kebab last night. No. But in 1851. Well, nobody was eating a kebab then. No, but, but was... Norwich City Centre this time last year will be uh, discarded kebabs okay. plenty. Okay. I'm not sure. His dog, his dog picks this thing up in the street. Martinu Lane, not quite sure of the pronunciation. Someone from some Norfolk can tell me. The dog picks up this this mysterious lump of of kind of a fleshy thing. Upon closer inspection, it is indeed part of a human hand. <laughs> it's a thumb clenched around two forefingers, like clenched in that position. What a discovery! Not very nice. Just two hundred yards away. Another gory discovery was made, this time a human foot. <laughs> the police were, of course, of course you call the police, even in yeah. 1851. Um, and they carry out a kind of a cursory search of the area, but it sounds like it wasn't particularly thorough. There was not, you know, it wasn't the days of secure the scene. No. As it is now, nothing got taped off. They just came and they kind of looked around a bit, looked around the neighbouring streets. There was no, presumably, forensics at that time, so they weren't worried about anyone contaminating the site. Well, yeah, exactly. Who knows? Who knows how many clues were like trampled over? There were still people coming in and out constantly. They did a bit of a search, but it didn't really turn up anything, and it wasn't particularly effective. The following day, another dog walker was out. He found another piece of body that the police had had missed on their search. This time, it was a piece of pelvis. <laughs> I warned you. Know you. I'm, I'm just wondering how you create a piece of pelvis. 
Well, bad hacking. Yeah. Flesh, um, fleshed along. Not so just the he, he found it along the same lane that the police had, had searched, but obviously maybe not very well. So something foul was clearly going on here. Three body parts turned up in, a, in two days on the same, same lane in, in Norwich city centre. All from the same person or too early to tell? Too early to tell that, Chris. Okay. Don't know yet. The police searched further, but over the next five days, it was mainly civilians who, unfortunately for them, kept finding pieces of body. <laughs> Someone found uh, a fibula in a field, what was later identified as a fibula. Some other men found some more like bits of flesh, not really determined what they were. Was this was this once word had got out, people actively went out seeking it, or just people <sighs> as part of their everyday course of action? I don't know. Do you think I suppose people probably would go out looking, wouldn't they? I don't know. If you if you heard bodies were being turned up in the field down the road, would you go and have a look? I don't I can't speak for myself. Well, I would say that's the only person you can speak for. <laughs> I sh- I don't know, but I'm sure that there are people who who would hear that and they'd be like, right, the yeah, hunt you're is probably on. Right, yeah. What can we find? Like Pokemon. Who's going to find the best bit? I told you, grubby. We're grubby this week. We're in the gutter. I feel like I'm already a bit dirty. But one policeman called John Flaxman, he did manage to find some things. So mainly civilians, but the police were doing a little bit of good work. Flaxman is a good name. Yeah, PC John Flaxman. Flaxman of the yard. He found a few pieces of flesh. So they started, they took all the all the bits back to the police station. And then they thought, okay, we still need to, we need to find what's going on here. Something's fucked up. Like some kind of macabre jigsaw puzzle. Exactly, exactly. One thing that was very alarming about these searches is that people were searching areas and the police were searching areas now more thoroughly than they had initially. And then a couple of days later, things would turn up in those areas that had already been cleared. Mm. So someone was still doing doing their filthy work. Yeah. But that's classic, uh, you know, killer return to the scene of the crime mentality, isn't it? Well, we know who about knows that what from, the scene of the crime was, you know, though? the modern crime things. Someone was so... Well, well I mean, I mean, like, there's always a thing, isn't it, when there's, when there's a murder, it's like, oh, you know, watch out the people who turn up for the, the wake <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's what you, you do. Know. And so but in this case... They always try and engage with it in some way. They thought they'd cleared areas of the city and then body parts would be found in those very same streets just a few days later or even the next day. So whoever was, was up to this was obviously still distributing... Their gruesome load around the place. Awful. At this point, presumably because some of the body parts had been discovered, kind of shoved into uh, the gutters and into the drains, they thought, we'll, we'll do like a more thorough search and we'll search the open sewers of Norwich. What a awful... Yeah. What an awful time. <laughs> what a horrible, horrible time. Don't, don't pay too much of a picture. <laughs> um, there were three of these open sewers in Bishopgate in Norwich, um, and it was mainly around the Bishopgate area that the parts had been found, so they thought, we'll, we'll have a look in these um, these open sewers, which were basically like streams with a kind of a grate over the top. Right. Uh, but they were pretty open, as the name suggests. You could you could force a finger through the grate. You could probably force more than a finger through right. there. Because can you guess what they were mainly trying to find? Mm-hmm. Skulls. They were they wanted to find the head. Yeah. But the because they needed what they wanted to know who this was. Yeah, sure. Sure. So they are like, well, we found all these parts. This doesn't help us to have a, a hand here, a fibula there, a toe in the other room. You know, they need to they need to find a head, and then they can actually start to solve what's going on. 
um, it would be a really important thing to find. So a man named John Sales is tasked with searching the open sewers. Awful. Quite awful. Does he have a team he can call upon? Or is it just um, him on his own? It's him on his own, but his father, who is, uh, I think he's John Sales Sr., I read, uh, is called upon to help him move things as well. But maybe he's not of an age to actually be wading into the open sewers. Told you, we're in the, we're literally in the gutter I know, for I this just, I liked, I liked the euphemistically I told move you. things. <laughs> move things. So John Sales starts to uh, have, a, have a hunt through these open sewers. As I say, they're really trying to find a head. They need to get to the bottom of this. The people of Norwich are appalled. Yeah, they demand uh, results. Dog walkers aren't safe. Who knows what you're going to find? He didn't find a head, but he did find some other quite <laughs> some more awful stuff. Uh, he found some entrails. Oh, God. And even worse, he found a woman's breast. Oh. Awful. Awful. And he found some uh, other bits, like evidence of like blood was kind of smeared on the on the not the walls, but like the gullies that went down into it and just general bits and pieces. So, so implying that stuff had just been emptied down into yeah. it and had left a, a bloody trail as exactly. it went in, right? Exactly. But the only things they could identify uh, as being specific body parts right. were the entrails and the, and the woman's breast. Now, it's not a head, but it does at least establish the gender. Well, assuming we're only talking about one person here. That's true. But I think they hadn't found anything to suggest... We weren't. Like, they hadn't found more than two hands, or they hadn't found more than two feet. <laughs> right, yeah. So they, they were kind of thinking, it could all be one person. And presumably, you can, you know, a small man's fibula is roughly equivalent to a taller lady's fibula, for yeah. example. Yeah, so and I don't know... Nothing else was conclusive at that point. I don't know with the pelvis. You'd think maybe nowadays well, we could probably tell... Is, doesn't it? Exactly. We could probably tell a woman's pelvis from a man's pelvis, but, I mean, not me... No, but an expert could. So everything was <laughs> gathered up and uh, transported. What a bad time that must have been for the people in the streets of Norwich. Just a bloody, not a van, a cart full of bits of... So first, entrails, yeah. bits. Second, they've just come out of a sewer. Yeah, as, oh. if, as if offal isn't bad enough. Exactly. <laughs> it's filthy, faeces-covered, foulness... Feces on the inside and feces on the outside. Oh my god, this is bad, really bad. So this all gets loaded up, and one poor policeman is given the job of trying to like assemble a body out of all these pieces. <laughs> it's not funny. It is funny. Oh god, it's so horrible. <laughs> His name was Edward Peck. <laughs> poor Edward Peck. They were like Edward Peck. Put this back together. Try and work out who it is. Was he the work experience guy? Oh, Edward. Like, what, what's, what's the worst job we can conceivably give the oh, work God. experience guy? We've run out of photocopying. <laughs> Get him to put that body back together. <laughs> oh, no. So all very, very horrible. Horrible business all round. So over the next week or so, more pieces kept turning up. Edward Peck got given the pieces. He had to try and like fit them into this awful jigsaw that he was doing of a human body. Another portion of breast was found. Further bones, intestines, bits and pieces here and there. And this is over over what area approximately um, of Norwich? You said there were three open sewers. Mainly within quite a small radius. Right, okay. So, so central, right. pretty central. Not far out in the areas could you could you locate it to something that is there today 
I think I mean Bishopsgate. Bishopgate is still there, no? Right. I don't know. I don't. I don't know Norwich that well. You can look on a map later. Uh, yeah, I think it is. It's pe- things that people would recognise. Right. Okay, so then they were like, okay, there's a mystery. What's going on? Who do all these pieces belong to? Who the bloody hell is putting these pieces in the drains? Two questions. Two very important questions. The, the first question will lead to the second question. You'd hope. You'd hope. So some surgeons had a look to try and see what they could establish. Mm-hmm. Firstly, they established that the person that had done it had no experience of either surgery or butchery. Right, yeah. It was a shoddy job. <laughs> A Just really hacking. shoddy job. I mean, if you... Sorry, I've, I've warned you, so I'm no, not no, sorry. It's, it's gruesome. Um, I'm speaking to the listener. I'm sorry. sorry I've warned them that it's bad. If you've got, say, a part of a hand, like that doesn't speak to good butchery skills, does it? Well, it depends what you're trying to get out of it. But I don't know, like, if you were going to butcher up a hand properly and you wanted to make it into less than just one hand, mm. you'd go fingers off, surely. Well, You'd go so. fingers, the fingers off. are the constituent parts. Exactly. Fingers off, then you've got the palm. Yeah. Fine. This man had just, or whoever, mm. I mean, it's usually Telling. a man, uh, had just like hacked through. So it was just a mess. So they said, it's not, we're not looking for somebody that's got any knowledge about medical procedures or about, you know, butchery. Necessarily. I mean, it's not to say that if, say, a surgeon was to commit a hideous crime, they wouldn't go about someone with an axe and all of their surgical skills would have been ignored. That's true. That is true. Okay. The other opinion that they came up with to help them identify the victim was that it was a woman. There's some breasts, fine. And based on the size, uh, it was quite quite a kind of someone that was quite small in stature. They estimated between 16 and 26 years of age. That was their best guess. This information was put out on a public information poster signed by the mayor, who was a Mr Woodcock. Oh, another woodcock. Another woodcock. And this was put up around around the town in the hope that somebody might be able to to see it and say, oh God, I know this person's been gone missing mm. or my daughter's gone missing or whatever. Um, and that that might give them a little bit of a clue to try and work out who, who this had been and what had happened. Nothing came of it. Of course, people came in and said, oh, this person, this person, but none of it checked out. Mm. The body remained a Jane Doe, or I should say... The bit of the pieces, the pieces of the body. The suggestion of a body. And no one came to claim the body. The case remained open. You can imagine it was quite a sensation in the local press Mm. to find all these parts. The Eastern Daily Press. All these parts all around the city. Terrible. A breast, an entrail, a foot. Awful. We do know, of course, that entrail is not a word. I only know that because once I thought I could have it on countdown. (sighs) Entrail. You're only allowed entrails. Yeah, entrail singular does not exist. No, I was wrong to use it just then. The local papers, they wanted, you know, they would like, how can we keep the story going? What can we make of it? They were made a huge kind of sensationalist scenario about it. They suggested that it was some Norwich medical students playing a terrible just a prank. Just exactly a, a, a kind of morbid... Raiding the cadaver store. Exactly, and then strewning the pieces all around Norwich just to shit people up. That is the kind of thing students do. Medical students especially. Yeah. They're known for their dark sense of humour. But this caused quite a rift with the local medical profession who then claimed that the papers were bringing them into disrepute and that, of course, none of their students would do such a terrible thing and uh, so this this kind of rumbled on for a while. 
They'd obviously not read Reanimator. <laughs> or watched the film. <laughs> I've watched the film. Have you read the book? Yeah, it's not really. Well, it is a book. It's not a book. It's a short story, and I think it, I think it originally it was serialized. Um, so it's like four or five short chapters. The string is really nice. Yeah, I finished. Mine. Are you in, you finished it? Yeah. You know there was quite a lot of booze in there. Well, that's probably why I'm talking so freely about Reanimator. You know how we discussed that we were going to put in each. We'd each have two shots basically. Yeah. One part gin, one part green booze. Yeah. But in the end, because I had more lime juice, right. I did enhance the oh, did you? the alcohol level. <laughs> in well. it. The ratios remained the same, but the overall quantities went up. Oh, I see. Well, um, let's see how coherent I remain. I should say as well that before this, we went to see my dad and we were sitting in his garden. So I, we also have had some wine before. Pims and wine. Who can face such a horrifying, gruesome case as this without a few drinks in them? Answer me that. Oh, well, I assumed that was a rhetorical question. Well, it was. Despite the horrific and unusual nature of this crime, because no more facts came up, nothing emerged eventually it kind of it just went quiet and the press lost interest other things started to happen instead and everything just went silent a cold case a cold case no one said any more about it now let's whiz forward 18 years okay chris is whizzing in his head i can see it it. you you're there 1869 it's 1869 it's the first of january again I don't. It's, it feels like quite significant dates that these things are happening on, because that's New Year's Day. Sure. Is it a um, a ritual killer using um, the uh, old calendar? As a, <gasps> Do you think so? Of, oh, it out Is that what you would? Yes, because I suppose if the parts were found on the solstice, could this have significance? But if you were doing a ritual, don't you think you'd put the parts somewhere more significant than just flinging just them into a, a drain? <laughs> Just into the sewers and gullies. Don't know. Maybe there's some significance to the sewers and gullies that we don't understand. Yeah, maybe they're on lee lines. Could be. Oh, exciting. We don't know. Anyway, so now it's the 1st of January, 1869. A drunk old man stumbles into a police station in Walworth, South London. How do you say it? Walworth. Like Walworth the shop? No, W-A-L. Worth. Oh, I don't know. I don't You've know. You've not heard of it. No. Okay, so a drunken man, quite old, in his seventies, staggers into a station. Police station. Police station, not a train station. Sounds like the start of a joke. A drunk old man staggers into a station. It's not the dog walk, because <laughs> it's the drunks. <laughs> well, the punchline is he says he wants to uh, confess a murder. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he finally he, got the better of him after eighteen he years. He staggers in and he says, "Oh, I want to, I want to confess. I want to confess. Um, I murdered my first wife years and years ago." He says, "The desk clerk is is quite surprised, not expecting this on New Year's Day." Right? Did the, was a desk clerk? I suppose it was a thing, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, you sure. say desk clerk. I'm just thinking of the bill. But well, because you, you'd have a receptionist. <laughs> think of Hot Fuzz, Bill Bailey. I know, there. I know, but that's like the the 21st century. Yeah, but I think it's probably similar. Okay. So they get an inspector out because this is quite a serious thing, and the inspector says, "What's all this?" And he says, "Oh, I want. I have to. I want to confess." He says, "I've come to London, and I was I was out last night, and I was planning to kill myself." And he produces a razor and he says, I was gonna I was gonna kill myself, but the Lord wouldn't let me. So basically he's he's too concerned that suicide is is a sin. Mm. Um, and murder? 
Well, also, was he just a bit, did he get a bit scared to kill himself? I don't know. So I just can imagine it like drunk New Year's Eve and you're just like, oh no, I did this terrible All thing years ago. All the sins from my life. It's still, All the regrets. It's still haunting me. Because uh, everyone kind of evaluates, don't they, on New Year's Eve? Mm. What have I done with my life? What the shit have I done with it? I mean, it? in TV and films they do. Really, you're just getting drunk and watching Hootenanny. Well, he was getting drunk and wandering around London. Right. Thinking that he was going to kill If only himself. Hootenanny had existed in those days. <laughs> if only Jules Holland was there. <laughs> it would have just been worse for him, I think. Fucking Jules Holland's Hootenanny. Um, <laughs> fair enough if you like it. It's not for me. Who did we see that was really drunk on Jules Holland's Hootenanny? It was James Acaster. Oh, yeah, he was so drunk. I don't know if he was drunk or pulling a whitey. Either way, he looked pale and, pale and sweaty. He did, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. I'd be like that on Jules Holland's Eden Nanny. It's probably pretty dramatic. <laughs> oh, dear. Here's Deacon Blue. You didn't even know Deacon Blue still existed. No. Oh, no. I feel traumatised just thinking about it. So he's, he pulls out this razor, cutthroat razor, and he hands it to the inspector. And he says, I was going to kill myself, but I couldn't do it. So instead, I've, I want to come and confess to this awful thing that's been plaguing me for years and years and years that I did. Well, this time ago. Uh, so they get him in and ask him what's going on. And he says, I want to confess to the murder and dismemberment of my wife in Norwich two decades ago. The man was named William Sheward and his wife, his first wife, for he had remarried subsequently. Mm. His first wife, who he said he'd dismembered, was Martha. Martha Sheward. It's alarmingly close to Martha Stewart. He gave further details about the murder and the disposal of the body. At the time of the confession, he was actually a landlord of a pub in Norwich. The pub was called the Key and Castle. I don't know if that's still there. That's what I was just going to ask. We should have looked. I should have looked. Yeah, It was my responsibility to look and I haven't done it. At the time of the murder, though, he was a tailor. Although it sounds like he was kind of quite out of work. (laughs) As that becomes an element in the story. Um, And he'd been 57 when the murder took place. So by now, he's, you know, he's mid-70s. Mm. He's got, apparently had really very bad rheumatism. Um, he was very kind of a frail, quite feeble old man. So the police were quite, they believed him, but they were, he he seemed a, almost a pitiful figure. He probably saw the gallows as the easy way out. Coming in and crying and, you know, all bent over and right. struggling to walk from his rheumatism in his ankles and all this stuff. And he said what had happened, He he related the whole tale. Him and Martha had rowed about money, as apparently they frequently did. He had been about to go out for a job interview on that fateful day, the day of the murder, June the 15th, 1851. He'd been getting ready to go to the interview, having a shave. An argument had broken out, and his temper this time got the better of him. He slashed Martha across the throat. Oh, my goodness. And she fell to the floor. All her blood spurting out. So that's yeah. That's I mean, he could have gone anywhere else, almost on the body with a cutthroat razor, and it would have been nasty, but not fatal. He was in a rage. In a thigh, will do that as well. I think, won't it? Surprisingly, perhaps he still went to the job interview. <laughs> did Did he get the job? He changed his shirt. Yeah. He said, "I did change my shirt." Put a fresh shirt on. The job interview was nothing to do with tailoring. It was in Great Yarmouth and it was to something about overseeing transportation of some salt, like a I don't know. Doesn't matter really. Doesn't sound like a career, does Doesn't, it? <laughs> well, it's just a quick job to get some money, I think. Um, and this is what him and Martha had been rowing about. So he went out to the job interview and then he said he came back um, and he almost thought she would have been discovered, but she hadn't been. 
she was still lying there on the floor, covered in well, everything was covered in blood, a throat, a throat yeah, slashing. Yeah, yeah, that's all your blood out, isn't it? Uh, so he said he put an apron over her and went to sleep on the sofa that night. Mm. Not in the same room with his dead wife, who he had viciously murdered. The next day, he thought, oh, shit. Probably shouldn't have done that. Maybe this was a mistake. So he he thought, I need to I need to make a plan about disposing of this this dead wife, this body. Callous. I'm being callous, but I'm in the mindset of callous William Seward, who was then at this point panicking. So he said he set about hacking it up. Mm. He thought the smaller it is, the easier it will be to get rid of. That's true. I suppose it's true. And frankly, if he hadn't confessed, he'd have got away with it. I know, he would have done, yeah. Um, So he started hacking the body up, this way, that way, as we know, in expert. Mm, What was he using? Uh, Ooh, I don't know. Probably just a kitchen knife I mean, it sounds easy to say, oh, he started hacking the body up, but you're going to need a pretty hefty chopper, aren't you? Well, we know he botched it. Well, he didn't botch it, he just didn't do it with surgical precision. True. In his aim to make small parts of body, he was successful. Now, a couple of different... Slightly different accounts. It's agreed. No one disputes he hacked the body up. No one disputes, unfortunately, he boiled up some of the bits. He's like the Dennis Nilsson of his day. I know. I know. So one thing I read said that he he had boiled up the bits because he was worried that the corpse was starting to smell so bad. So he boiled it up so the neighbours wouldn't be suspicious. Well, so he could blame it on his bad cooking. I don't know. So And then the other thing said he initially started boiling up the bits because he thought that would reduce them even further and mm. then he would have less to dispose of still. But then the neighbours were like, hang on, what is that disgusting smell right. of boiling flesh? Yeah. So I'm not sure. So he, he at one point was boiling up the bits uh, and then he would put them in a pail and off he'd go around Norwich with his pail full of parts, like flinging them into drains, Bits down in a sewer, this bit goes in a field, fingers here, toes there, breasts this way, intestines that way, just flinging it all around. Like when you used to go to a carnival as a kid and there'd be like, uh, you'd be standing by the side of the road and the floats would be going past and people on the floats would be flinging sweets out of buckets. Oh God, exactly. But with body parts. Exactly. And then the reason that the police were clearing areas and then parts were turning up is that each night go he would basically go out with his bucket and oh. do a little bit more. So he wasn't taunting them, he was just slow. He was, well, he just, it, it sounds like he spent basically 18 years in absolute misery that he'd done this thing. So he wasn't taunting anyone, he just was an idiot basically and he was regretful taking his pail around, flinging body parts about. So that's how all the parts came to be came to be in the in the gutters. So distributed. And the neighbours did realise that Martha was missing, but what William said was that she'd um, she'd run off to meet an old lover and never come back. And the neighbours kind of believed him because they'd heard arguments all the time. Mm. Uh, and crucially, I mean, if I'd been hearing arguments all the time, I might have been a bit more suspicious. But crucially, the police had said it was a young woman. They'd said... It was someone who was 16 to 26 and Martha Stewart was in her... Sorry, not Martha Stewart. There you go, you've made that mistake. Oh no, Martha Stewart was in her 50s. Right, okay. And so that... So nobody made the association. That miscalculation was an absolutely kind of vital thing that meant that... absolutely no way that kind of miscalculation would happen now, is it? I wouldn't have thought so. I would have thought forensics, you can tell how old somebody is within a couple of years, yeah. really simply. Uh, but she was quite a small lady, which right. which may have been why. But yeah, so the connection didn't get made that maybe maybe she could have been the person. And probably in those days, people were just going off and, you know, you're not emailing, are you? No. You're not like, oh, I'll just drop her an email, see where she is. Hasn't posted on her Instagram for a while. Exactly. 
he did try and retract his confession. <laughs> In the cold light of morning. <laughs> the cold light of morning. But he'd given them so many details yeah. that fitted with what had already been established that that, that didn't go so well for him. Uh, he was tried in the spring of... 1869. Um, he was sent back to Norwich to be tried because he'd been held in held in prison in London. But they did say he should be tried in Norwich. This mm. is where the crime took place, and this is where he still lived um, with his unfortunate second wife. And the police tried to gather up what evidence they could from 18 years before. They called in Charles Johnson. Right. They called in Edward Peck. Do you remember that body? You they called in PC John Flaxman. Uh, everyone who'd found the parts that they could that they could locate, they said, "Can you come in and tell your story?" They got the neighbours in to say they'd heard them fighting all the time, and that he'd he'd said that she'd gone to, um, I think it was New Zealand or something really outlandish with an old lover. That is so, outlandish for the 1850s. So they tried to assemble their case, but it was quite difficult because, of course, mm. really evidence. They Assuming had, though, the confession's enough, isn't it? Yeah. In the end, it was the confession that did for him, even though he'd retracted that the the details that he'd given in the confession could not be disputed, really. Mm. And again, he was very uh, a pathetic figure on the stand. Uh, he had terrible, terrible rheumatism in his ankles, especially he could hardly stand up. He was this just old kind of pitiful man and found guilty. A little interesting thing about his execution, which maybe could be a whole nother story for another day. He was sentenced to execution by hanging, as was the custom. The executioner was a man called William Colcraft. Which presumably nobody knew at the time. Colcraft. Colcraft. What, what was, what, executioners were all given the same name, weren't they? Am I right in thinking oh, that? maybe. Well, they wore a hood for sure. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sure there was, there was like a, you know, like John Doe, not John yeah. Doe, obviously, but uh, for executioners. But. Maybe we need an executioner's episode. Executioner's but, special. Um, they had other jobs and then they would do yeah. executioning executioning yeah. just just as a little money maker on the side as a money maker on the side but it sounds like he quite enjoyed it this guy because he <laughs> there's a reason you take on extra work <laughs> isn't there so it's this guy called William Colcraft. Um, he was one of the most prolific hangmen of the 19th century um, he was working in have no the... school travel yeah exactly he was he went all over the country hanging people um, he I think was I think I read 45 years wow he worked as a hangman and he was known for his use of the short drop uh, technique. Yeah. So the standard drop technique is the the drop, so the distance you will fall either through a trap, a trap, or if you, you're standing on something that's then removed, uh, would be four to six feet, and that is usually, usually not always sufficient enough a sharp drop that the neck will snap if the knot has been correctly tied and the and the person will be killed immediately um through a broken neck the short drop technique you will have a drop of three feet or oh less God. and then it's just strangulation and then you basically die from strangulation or suffocation or combination of the two uh strangulation is suffocation really so what we're saying is he's an evil bastard well, yes. And it sounds like, because most hangings were public, that he would really play to the crowd. There were reports of him, like... so Pretending to pull I'm the sorry, lever and then stopping. This is so horrible, but I have warned you. There were reports of him in a comedic way, like pulling on the legs of the, <clears throat> of the, of the hanging man... To, like in a kind of like making a whole show of it like oh better pull the legs they're not quite dead give them a bit of help along the way um and he would with public executions he would apparently really play to the crowd oh god like um, it was the music hall 
And the short the short drop technique, of course, meant that he had time. He had something to play with. That he could make this whole spectacle of it and he could um, make it into a bit of a theatrical show. Where's the fun if they're instantly dead? Well, that's what William Colcroft said. Wow. So Sounds like we need a William Colcroft special. But for William Sheward, not sure why, maybe because of his age, it wasn't a public hanging. Oh, really? So the public were not. We're not there. Oh, by that time, public hangings were starting to be phased out. Maybe no? I don't know. I know. I think they were still they were still going. Were they? Because William Corder was later, who we discussed before, or around the same time. Right. Uh, but the the hanging was behind the walls of the assizes, so the public couldn't go. But apparently, all the public gathered outside. Went on a big hill. Outside, and then the black flag went up. Right. To say that, that, gone. that he was gone, and apparently. Reporters were allowed in to tell of the of the hanging, and it was reported that his end was quite swift. So subsequent speculation is that Colcroft didn't use the short drop technique. Well, there was no crowd to play to. Well, that's what I thought. Isn't yeah. that horrible? He thought, yeah. oh well. What's the point? Exactly. What's Get the point? Get it done. My hourly rate goes up if I'm not <sighs> chancing around. So William Sheward um, was hung on twentieth of April, eighteen sixty nine, eighteen years after. The horrifying body pieces were initially found in Norwich City. What a bad business. And I'll just add one final thing. Although he confessed in quite a lot of detail about how the murder had happened, the final piece of the puzzle was never solved. What had he done with Martha's head? He never told. And so Martha's head was never located. So somewhere in a drain in Norwich. Could be. There's just this skull. Could be. And that's the end of the story of the horrifying case of the dismembered body parts in Norwich City. Not very snappy title. <laughs> and the murder of Martha Stewart by her husband, Not William. Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. You said Stewart. Well, we all know what I mean. There you go. I warned you it would be gruesome, and it for sure was gruesome. Next time we won't be gruesome. Only a tiny bit if we are at all. Um, that seems unlikely. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that absolutely horrible story and we will see you again soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye.